I do want to make sure everybody has a Ruth booklet. So, if, you know, I know we always have guests and visitors, and you may not know this, but we're in the study of Ruth, and we, we always give us a booklet to each other. And if you want to get up, you can get some, just step out. It's okay right now. Just pop up and go out back and grab this. Now, we do this so that you can take notes. You have something you can write in. Um, it's not to um, replace your Bible, right? So, so it's, it's, when we study a book of the Bible, um, we want you to have this booklet, but we also want you to bring your Bible because anytime we study a book of the Bible, we're gonna go to other parts of the Bible. Uh, it's gonna send us to other parts of the Bible to even reaffirm that which uh, we are studying. If you're, if you're not there yet, turn in your booklet. I've got my booklet up here, but I also have my Bible open to Ruth chapter one. We'll be in verses six to 14 this morning. Uh, my wife reminded me uh, at the first service, Lisa wrote me and said, you know, it was, it, was, it was six years ago today <laughs> that, uh, gosh, it was probably, I don't know, four to six people, our son unconscious. Um, when he finally came to, he had been cut deeply, deeply cut. He had met a lot of bruises, inter- some internal bruising, broken rib, I think, or punctured. He punctured lung, but separated shoulder. Um, every, every, his whole right side pretty much really messed up. That's a, those are the facts, okay, of that story. But let me tell you the truth, okay? 12 hours before those four to six people knocked our son unconscious, he was thrown from a motorcycle. You guys know part of this. He was thrown from a motorcycle into oncoming traffic, broke all of his right leg, all, all those injuries. And so the truth is those four to six doctors, surgeons, nurses knocked him unconscious in order to save his life. They cut him deeply to insert rods into these bones. There's the facts and then there's the truth. And, you know, if we, if we just, if, if, if facts need the context of truth around them to make sense and to really tell what's truly happening. Said another way, you can have facts, but you need to understand the why behind those facts to grasp what is true. You know, as I'm telling that story, many of, you, many of you know that story, but some of you don't. You know, you could be sitting here going, oh my gosh, the guy's son got jumped by a gang. <laughs> uh, that's unbelievable. I can't believe it. And it happened on this day. No, my son's life was saved by a group of professionals. You see, because you got to bring the, you got to bring the truth and the context and the why to the facts it's no different in the life of faith. Now, I want you to make this connection that, that really when you think about our journey of faith, you and I are gonna spend our whole lives living with a set of facts that are real, that happen to us and, and seeking to bring the truth around those facts. What's the why, what's underneath all of those facts? Uh, bringing the truth to bear on the facts is, is a good description, I think, of the of the Christian life. And this is the work, well, I'm saying this, this is the work that we are doing as we study the book of Ruth. The first five verses have been um, 
some really difficult facts. Uh, Rob and I have taught the first five verses. It's taken us two weeks to introduce and to get into those. But just let me review the facts for you, okay? Um, where there should have been bread in the land of milk and honey in the town of Bethlehem, the house of bread, there was a famine. A man named Elimelech, gosh, I, I believe do, doing the best he could, sought to feed his family and went to Moab, which is a godless country that God had, had judged. And then when he goes to Moab, y'all, he, he, after they've been there a little while, he goes with his wife and two sons. He dies. And then his two sons marry Moabite women. And that's kind of a, oh, that's a no-no you know, already. And then the two sons die. And so you get to the end of verse five and you're left with three widows. Rob explained this last week. In a patriarchal society, which this, the Bible occurs in, this is, everything goes back to the family, to the center, and it goes back to the patriarch of the family. It was the patriarch that provided, protected. This is the way it was, you know, at this time in redemptive history. And so now you've got three widows with no patriarch, no family. This is, I mean, the, the name of this family is getting ready to evaporate, which is really not a good thing. Those, those are the facts. But what's, okay, this, that's the question. Okay, okay, I got the facts, but what's true? Now, here's what I want you to know. From verse six, all the way to the end of chapter four in the last verse. We are, we are gonna be answering that question. Okay, that's the facts, but what's true? That's gonna be our journey. It's gonna take us five weeks after Easter before we're done. And it reminded me, I got tickled at myself because I was, when I was just standing, I go, gosh, you know, this, we're gonna be investigating the truth. And it reminded me of, of um, A Few Good Men, you know, the old movies. I know younger people, you're going, I don't know what movies y'all are talking about now, but I'm, I'm talking about A Few Good Men that many of you know, Jack Nicholson, right? Tom Cruise. Uh, and you remember the, the scene, you know the scene I'm talking about. I can tell some of you already know the scene I'm talking about when he's, you know, the, the, the Tom Cruise is just grilling Jack Nicholson. You know, you know, I, I want you to tell me the truth. You know, it's just intense. And then what's Jack Nicholson's response? You can't handle the truth. You can't handle, you know, it's like that. And so when I'm looking at this, I'm going, y'all, <laughs> there are some truths in Ruth that we can hardly handle. In fact, some of us can't handle, I, I, it's just the fact. There's some truths in Ruth that are, I'll just, that are very difficult to handle, very difficult to hold. But apart from these truths, there is no hope. That's what's at stake here. Us, we gotta handle the truth here because if we don't, there, there is really no hope. Now, the fundamental truth about God that runs through Ruth is his providence. Uh, the introduction, you know, when you think of providence, think God is in control. That, this is, 
There's so much to it, but that's the thread. That's, that's what runs all, it's like a river running through the story of Ruth is God's providence. Un, it's, it's like beneath the story. We're using uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, a time-tested, thoroughly biblical definition of God's providence. You can define it ways, but we're using this. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask the question like I did two weeks ago, and I'm gonna ask you, to, okay? I'm gonna ask you to respond. So the, the 11th question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. And we noted that the word all, it's like we're going, yeah, God's in all. That's the part we can stumble over. It's a, y'all, it's a hard pill to swallow. And, and I believe God has given us this story of Ruth in part to help us swallow the pill, to help us handle the truth of his providence in all its ferocity and its grace. I'm gonna pick up the story where uh, Rob left off last week. We're at verse six. We're gonna go through verse 14. Um, you know, Ruth's a story. This is not a New Testament letter. This is a story. And it's, uh, you know, stories occur in scenes. They can be geographic scenes, you know, whatever, but, but, but there's scenes that unfold. And so I'm just gonna give it to you here just so you know the outline of these, of these verses. There's two scenes that this, you know, the camera's rolling on. It's the fields of Mo. that's verses six and seven. And by the way, um, you just, you know, you go fields of Moab. The field is a really important place in the book of Ruth. So note that. And then we're gonna look at them on the road to Bethlehem. So that, that's just a simple way to go. Okay, let me categorize these verses and now we're gonna look at them. We're gonna start in the fields of Moab. Look in your Bible, follow along as I read it. Verse, beginning in verse six, then she, this is Naomi. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws, to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now I'm gonna ask you some questions. We're gonna do Bible study together here. I want you to answer it, you brave souls that'll yell things out and say, uh, these are not trick questions. When, when you study your Bible, our, Rob and I, we hope this, these are the questions you ask of the text. This is how you do Bible study. So, so let me just ask it and we'll just work through this. It's, it's, they're, they're relatively simple, but you gotta think for a moment. I'm gonna ask this, uh, why is Naomi now going back to Bethlehem? According to the text, we're just in the text, why? Why is she going back to Bethlehem? She heard there's food. Okay, let's, let's, let's also grab this. Why is there food in Bethlehem? According to the text. Yeah, yeah. You know, these are things you gotta pay attention to. Yeah, there's food. And, and God's behind the food. Subtly, he's behind the famine as well, right? Now, this is a little harder, but think about it. Why, if there's food in Moab 
And the text tells us there's food in Moab. She's in the fields. Why, if there's food in Moab, would Naomi go back to Bethlehem? Think about it. There's food in Moab. But now she hears there's food in Bethlehem, so she's going back. Why? Family. Family? That's good. Why? What else is in that? Can't hear you. Home. Promise. Promise. It's, it's, it's all of that. Let me, let me just, it's this. Because she's a child of God. That don't, we don't want to miss that. She's, because that's home. Because the promise. Because she's, the coven, she's in the covenant of God. And she belongs there. Is everybody with me on that? I'm tr- I, you go, Lord, why are you making this such a big deal out of this? I don't know. No, no. because, <laughs> because I'm going to make a big deal out of this. Naomi's faith is strong. Naomi's faith is intact. Naomi has not rejected God because you took away all my sons and my husband. And you've left me with two daughter-in-laws who've been in 10 years, by the way. And she doesn't, do you see what I'm saying? Naomi's faith is intact. We'll see it even reinforced here in a few moments. Those are the facts though, right? Those are the facts of the story. Now, let me tell you the truth. Now, I'm gonna put a slide up that... I can't explain all this. It's somewhat self-explanatory, but we'll be unpacking this for the next, you know, till we finish Ruth. Because here's the truth, okay, in the face of those hard facts. God is at work in ways Naomi cannot see. Doing what Naomi could never do. She can't make it rain. She can't bring food back. At just the right time to bring her good according to his purposes and plans in ways she could never imagine. I mean, that's a mouthful. That's the truth. You gotta, we're gonna have to hold this all the way through this story. But man, especially right here at the beginning, God is at work in ways Naomi cannot see yet. Doing what Naomi could never do at just the right time. You'll see these time indicators as we read this story. To bring her good according to his purposes and plans in ways that she could never imagine. Naomi can't see it yet, but we the readers can. This is why I wanna encourage you, read the whole story. Read the whole story as we move through it week by week. If you were to say to me, Lloyd, Okay, because put that statement back up one more time. If that's true for her, I'm gonna argue, quite frankly, you know what I'm gonna say, that it's true for you. That's, that's what I believe the Bible teaches. But you may say, well, okay, Lloyd, how can I, how can I see it? I mean, how, how can I know? What do I need to do to, to know that? I would say, do what Naomi is doing. Now, let me go another layer on that. Okay, what do you mean do what Naomi's doing? It's this, at least these two things. First, Naomi was simply doing 
what needed to be done next. So you, you go, is there something special I need to do to see God's providence work in my life? Uh, well, I wouldn't call it special. I would just call it the next thing. Naomi's just worked, right? She didn't go to seminary. She, she didn't go on a retreat. She didn't go to monastery. She was working, trying to feed herself and her family. And so I just want to say to us, you know, this is about ordinary providence. It's about what's next. People say, what's God's will for my life? I go, I, I don't know, but what do you need to do right now? I need to, uh, I need to fix my car. Well, fix your car. That's God. You know what I'm saying? It's what's next. God works in our faithful obedience and what's in front of us. But secondly, I, I, I'm gonna camp on this for a moment. She knew, and this is why we talked about why did she go back? She knew where she belonged. She knew she belonged in the land of promise, in Bethlehem. And the text says, returned. She returned. And I want you to know this, this Hebrew word, I'm gonna say it, it, it just, I'm gonna say it because I want you to think about it when the Hebrew readers read it. It's shem bavet, shem, shem bavet. That's the word return. And y'all in our text today, there's only like, I think we're doing uh, six verses. It occurs six times. It's like it, it, the text just keeps keep saying shem bavet, shem bavet. You know, it's like, so the original readers, the writer is going, hey, there's something going on. There's this word that keeps showing up that's translated return, went back, return, went back. It's the Hebrew word that describes when God's people are going away from him and they return and they turn back toward him. And the writer's given us clues. There's a, there's a, there's a return going on here in this woman's life. And and I want us to think about it in these terms. When, when you and I catch the faintest whiff of God's providential kindness, does it spark in us repentance? Because that's the word we would use for this word return, repentance. What I'm saying is that, and I'll, I'll unpack this, but you know, God's providence is hard to see, but, but Paul says it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. And so when, when we just catch wind and, and she can barely see it, I want you to know that. We as readers can see it, but she can barely see it, but she catches wind of God's goodness and there is a sense of repentance and turning for Naomi. And she makes her way home. You and I don't live a day of our life that we don't need to repent. We just don't. And so is that turning and repenting, who does that become a part of our walk with him? And even in our hardest circumstances, can we catch a glimpse of God's kindness? And does that kindness turn us to repent. Verse seven tells us that at some point Naomi stops and a debate ensues. And all of this, of course, happens on the road. That's verses eight and nine. Um, 
follow along in your Bibles with me, verse eight and nine. We're now on the road back to Bethlehem. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go return each of, look at there, return. There's the word, each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. You know, there's, there's things in this story that I get tickled at and I think it's very shrewd of Naomi. As you see, she's sending them back. She doesn't have this conversation in her house. I don't know where they're living, but we know in the story very quickly, they, they up and verse eight, all of a sudden they're on the road. You know, they're on the road again, they're traveling. And, and I've got to think, this is just me, but I got to think Naomi, smart woman, you know, rather than have this conversation around the dinner table, right? Um, hey, I need you, you guys need to go back. No, she gets them all packed up <laughs> and they're on the road. And really think about it. it. There's just more likelihood that now that they're packed up and they're, you know, they've moved, they, that they would return. Naomi's view is that the best and most reasonable course of action is that Orpah and Ruth go back home. Why? They'll have a better chance of, of, of gaining a husband. That's what the whole section is talking about. Remember, and Rob taught us this, that the, the patriarchal tribal culture, it centered around the patriarch. And you've got three women with no patriarch. And, and Naomi says, there's a better chance for you. Do you see this? There's a better chance if you will return to your home. And then she, she prays a blessing on these girls. The Lord grant you that you may find rest. The Lord deal kindly with you. Again, I, I'm gonna hammer this into us. She uses that phrase, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And I'm saying this to say her faith, what would you say about her faith? I would say it's strong. It's solid. She knows who gives kindness. She knows who gives rest. Yahweh, her God. This word kindness, deal kindly, y'all, that's the word hesed that Rob talked about last week. Perhaps the most important word in the Old Testament, if not the Bible, God's hesed, it's God's character and nature. Our relationship and the Hebrew people's relationship rested upon this word hesed and all that it means. Rob mentioned this, steadfast love or affection rooted in a committed relationship. It's loyal love, it's faithfulness, it's unfailing kindness, it's devotion. When I think of hesed, I always use these two phrases, steadfast love and covenant faithfulness. That's what hesed is. That's who God is. And Rob said, life will always be an attack on his hesed. He's not hesed. No, he is. He can be nothing other than steadfast love and covenant faithfulness to his own. I, I like the way um, uh, one, one author uh, describes this and and he says it, uh, let me find my notes here. I've lost myself. I've, I've lost my place here. He says, Hesed um, is, a, is the warmth of God's love with the security of God's faithfulness. I, I just like that one. It's, it's the warmth. It's the affection, the emotion of love with the security of his faithfulness. Y'all, this is Hesed. When she says, give, may God give you rest, that's the same word God, that, that God promised his people. I'm gonna put you in this land and give you rest. And it's not, you're gonna sleep well. It's, 
I'm gonna put you here where there's provision and security. And it's as, it's as, you, it's as it was meant to be. I'm gonna give you peace, wholeness. And see, she, she calls upon Yahweh to do that for these girls. They lift up their voices. She, you know, she's telling them to go. And then I want to get the conversation. It's verses 10 to 14. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. There's the word again, return. But Naomi said, turn back. There's the word again, return. My daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back. There's that word again. My daughters, go your way for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say that I have hope, even if I should say I have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake. And really it reads like this. For it is exceedingly more bitter for me than for you that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Her first argument, so to speak, fell on deaf ears, right? So she said, you got to go back. And they go, no, we're going to go with you. And then I, I like to say, like, I say, she went into lawyer mode. That's a compliment. She went into lawyer mode because now she gives a hypothetical, but she gives an argument, y'all, that is airtight. It's inarguable what she says. And, and as we read it, I don't think it takes much interpretation. When you read it, it's what it says. Naomi looks at him and says, look, I know there's, this, there's a, the law of leveret marriage, and, that, and we'll talk more about that later, but it's that if a, if a man dies, his brother is to marry the wife to continue the name. That's, the, you know, they're to do that. And she looks at him and says, look, I'm past childbearing years. That's the first strike. Secondly, <laughs> But just for, let's just say I was, I got pregnant right now. In nine months, I had twins, boys. Would y'all wait until they grew up? You see what I'm saying? No, this is crazy. No, you need to go back home. And then Naomi, she goes from lawyer mode to theologian. Now she brings the big gun. This is the big gun. Um, I've got it in the New Living Translation because that for your sake always confuses me. And so this is what it says. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Do you hear what she just said? She said... The hand of God, which for every Hebrew is the arm of God that rescues us from our enemies, that brought us out of bondage and slavery, that lifts us to the rock that's higher than the waters. That hand is against me. 
Now here's my question for you. Is that true or not? Don't, don't answer. I don't know that I could answer. I'm not gonna answer that for you, not today, and I don't know that I ever will answer it for you. I want you to just sit with that. I really want you to sit with what she, oh my goodness. Now see, what, what's happened here is, and, and, and I believe this, I've already, I think, in some way established, and will more later, that her faith is intact. That her view of God is right. I've, I, she, by the word, right, I'm saying she's, I admire her more and more the more I study her. So she's, her faith is intact, but suddenly we have a problem because she's just said something that you go, mm, right, like, eh. Two weeks from now, we're gonna take the last three verses and I'm gonna go a little deeper on God's providence there. I won't answer that question, quite frankly, to question, but I want you to wrestle with it. I'm serious, I want you to just wrestle with that over these coming weeks. Do y'all remember the Peanuts cartoon, Pig Pen? You remember Pig Pen? Again, I know the younger people in the room are going, you, dude, you're so old, you talk about things I don't know. But I, I, it's Peanuts, Charles Schultz, you know? Snoopy, but Pigpen. Do you remember Pigpen? Do you remember how he walked around? And you remember every time you saw Pigpen? What else was around Pigpen? Dust, dirt, right? So it's like, hey, if you don't want to get dirty, don't get near Pigpen. So, so this is what Naomi's saying. You got to understand, God's hand is against me. If you don't want his hand against you, you need to stay away. Wow, you need to stay away from me. Well, it, it, it makes sense to Orpah. She kisses her. This is a picture, by the way, of, this is a picture of, you know, the girls felt an obligation to their mother-in-law. How good is that? So this is a picture of is Naomi doing her best to release them. What a wonderful mother-in-law. I don't want you to feel the obligation to take care of me. You're relieved. It's beautiful. She loves them, doesn't she? And when Orpah leaves, the author doesn't throw her under the bus like, oh, there goes the loser. It, we don't know. It doesn't do that. It's literature. It's a story. And it's a foil to say, okay, she made that decision, which makes the next unbelievable. But Ruth clung to her. See, that the, the whole point of Orpah's gone, and that's just a, that's a, it's what happened. It's to make us read the next phrase, and Ruth clung to her and go, oh my word, are you kidding me? She's, that word clung to her, it shows up for the first time in the Bible in Genesis 2.24, where it says, and a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave, dobak, it's the same Hebrew word, to his wife. So it's not like Ruth said, okay, okay I'll hold your hand, I'll hang on. No, the picture he gives us is she clung to her. When I do weddings, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll say, you know, cleave is like when the flap of the envelope is connected to the body of the envelope, there's that stick together. And once stuck together, it's like something happens right here that's different and new and it can't be separated. Once that's, see the picture? And you go, well, yeah, Lord, you can separate an envelope. Let me tell you what you can do. You can tear an envelope apart. You can't separate that bond. That's what's happened here. 
Ruth is clinging to Naomi. Rob's going to unpack it next week. Amazing. We slowed down enough because we wanted to just take uh, Ruth's statement in, in verses six. We just wanted to camp on that. So there, but Rob's going to next week more. And we'll see that she has bound herself to something far bigger than to Naomi. Okay, with that, I'm going to give you one principle this morning. And as we work through this study in Ruth, I, I, there's just so much that we can go to. And I, and I, and I thought, what, what's the one thing I want us to, to camp on today? And uh, I, I decided on this. So here's one lesson um, principle I want you to ponder, and then I'll ask us to apply it in a moment. Metaphorically, let me say it this way, wherever you are in the fields of Moab, because we all find ourselves in the fields of Moab, Wherever you are, whatever your situation, your circumstance, whatever the facts of your life are right now, okay, here's what's true. God's hesed is perceived not by reason, but by revelation. I'm gonna unpack this. I, I, this is so important. God's hesed, his steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness, the warmth of his affection and goodness to you, the security of his faithfulness to you that's unbreakable. It is perceived not, okay, not by reason, but by revelation. Now, we want to be careful we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's given us minds to reason. So, so we, we, we use our reason, but... But reason can only take us so far. And there's, there's, there's no genuine perception of God's hesed that you can rest in. If all you've got is your reason, you need revelation. About two weeks ago, we had our staff retreat. We, we, we didn't do it, we, did, we weren't able to get away the year before. So, so we're on a retreat, it's an overnight thing. And um, y'all, we had a comedian and magician come. We also had a hypnotist and astrologer and others. I'm teasing you, I'm teasing you. We had a comedian and a magician though. And this guy was great. You know, he said, I don't have any magic powers. You know, it's illusion, illusionary stuff. And y'all, he did this one thing where uh, he did a thing on Carrie Murphy, you know, Learning Center Carrie. He got her good, you know, and we all got in on it because Carrie was out of the room and he told all of us, he said, this is what I'm gonna do, okay? Uh, but Carrie's not gonna know. So it's like, we're all in on the joke or we're all in on the trick. And so Carrie was sitting here on a stool and he did this thing, you know, where he, he made this thing disappear, like this piece of paper would disappear from his hand and he would have it in front of Carrie and he'd say, he's, and he would hold this thing and say, now, now, you know, you see it's in this hand. He said, he's handed it in, you know, and he would do this thing and, and she couldn't get it. And every time she got it wrong, we just fell out laughing because we knew what he did and she didn't. And that's what's happening right here. Naomi's sitting in the seat and we as readers, we see it. We see it. We see what God's doing. At least we see the beginnings of what God's doing and we've read the story so we know where it goes. 
Naomi's not perceiving it yet. With her reasoning, she offers these options to her girls. But her hope ultimately and ours is not what she can reason by what she can see, but what she can know by what God has revealed. You go, wait, unpack that a little more. What I'm trying to say is the more we know this story and we know what God has revealed. See, this is revelation. We wouldn't have this unless God chose to reveal these 66 books that describe his character and his work and his person, his purpose and his plans. And the more we know this, you see, then when, we, when, when life unravels around us, we, we, we've got to go back and say, okay, it is a, this is a fact. My life is a mess. I, my, my husband's dead. My sons are dead. That's a fact. But what we've got to be able to do is go back and go, but... But what has God promised? What do I know that never changes about the character and nature of God? What is his, what's his ultimate purposes and plans? That's got to be, that's got to be where I go, Hesed, Hesed is mine. It's mine because God said it's mine. He promised it. Does this make sense? I get a little worked up on that, but, but I, I want us to grasp that. That it's in his revelation. We find our rest. We find his hesed. Or our perception will throw us off. Here's the truth. According to God's revelation. His goodness to you. Is clinging to you like Ruth is clinging to Naomi. That's the truth. His hesed is clinging to you like Ruth is clinging to Naomi. You will not see it, perceive it in your circumstances. It'll be hard to see. In his grace, he lets us see at times but you will always see it in his promises. Okay, application. I want you to consider something. I'm gonna give you a moment to do it. I'm gonna invite the worship team back out. So we will, have a, we will go to the table and we'll have a song that we'll sing before we're, for our benediction. But here's, here's the application, the invitation to life. Because this is what we move through this story. It's always an invitation to life. The invitation to life is this. I want you to, I want to ask you to name a work of God's providence in your life right now that hints at his kindness. Now, I don't know your circumstances of your life, but I know there's no one in the room that's not in some ditch in some way, some difficulty, some challenge. And I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you. See, you got Ruth clinging to Naomi. It doesn't mean anything to her yet. But to you and I, we're all going, oh, I know where it's going. You know what I'm saying? And in your life and mine, there's kindness. God's kindness is there. It's hard to see. And so I'm gonna ask you, Holy Spirit, show me God's kindness because God's kindness leads to repentance. And so I'm gonna ask you to do this. If, if you can see God's kindness in your world, just name it. I mean, it's just gratitude. Just name it. You know, even though it's difficult, even though it's so faint, it's barely a wisp, but you name it.
If it means repentance, then repent. You know, if you've just, I don't know, if it means, oh God, I, am, I repent of my attitude, whatever it may be, I turn back to you on a straight. Repent. If it's not repentance, then it's absolutely worthwhile and appropriate that you would say thank you. I'm telling you, those two things begin to open your eyes to actually begin to see his providence in ways you could not see. Take a moment right now. Take a moment right now and ask God to show you his kindness. And now let me invite you to take the Lord's table elements. Just grab those. I hope you grabbed them as you came in. If you didn't, just slip out now. You may have missed it. You may be new, you may be visiting. You don't know that we do this week every week. But we come to this table week by week. And if you need to get up and step outside, you can just step outside and grab it. Go ahead and take the top off so that you have the bread in one hand and you have the cup in the other. And may I ask you to stand. We'll take this together. I'll lead us. We hold in our hands the, the bread and the cup. We, in a very real sense, it's a beautiful thing. And it's why we do this week by week as a reminder is that we hold in our hands that which symbolizes our only hope, Jesus. We hold in our hands those symbols that remind us of his body broken on our behalf and his blood poured out, his life, his life poured out for ours, so ours would never have to be poured out. Um, in a sense, isn't it interesting, we're actually holding the promise of God to us. Amazing. Lord Jesus, for your body broken, you're suffering on our behalf. Yourself given for our good. We give thanks. You might want to break the bread or just take it as it is and receive it. Lord Jesus, for your blood poured out. Life is in the blood. You gave your life. This is what this represents to us. It's the fulfillment of God's promise to make a way back into relationship with him. 
When we take the cup, Lord Jesus, we take it with gratitude and we recognize that the act of receiving this is a proclamation to ourselves and the world. Jesus is coming back one day to set all things right. So we receive your cup, take and drink. Carl sang a song over us two weeks ago. We get to sing it with him today. Um, Luke, Chad, and Lindsay, worship leader, they, uh, they wrote these words, and I want you to note where they put our attention. They turn our attention not to our circumstances, but to say, look at his promises. This is our hope. Circumstances are changing. They're not always what we want. Oh, but the promises of God never change. Y'all, his faithfulness to his promises is the surest thing in the universe. And we can sing about it.